we are being called as a church into something larger than we've anticipated before. That, that, that God actually, this gathering is not the end goal. I compare this week's attendance to last week's attendance, and if you know, you kind of giggle. <laughs> this gathering is important. This gathering is vital because it is the unifying of our community. Without this gather gathering, we're scattered everywhere. So we gather, but it's not the end goal. Our end goal is to foreshadow. Have you heard this before? To foreshadow the fulfillment of God's promises. It's going to take us stepping into continually leading spiritually. Leading each other, encouraging each other in what God is saying and doing. It's going to take us breaking our, our comfort zones here and working together in our community, breaking our comfort zones. God didn't call us to a comfortable life. He called us to be part of his rescue mission. That's our calling. That's, it's not my calling as a pastor. It's my calling that I share with you as a child of Jesus Christ. We are equals in this calling. We, we, I'm a pastor. I organize this community. Cool. But together, we're equals, and we go into our communities, and we make a difference. Uh, next week, Ethan is going to be up here talking about an opportunity. I'm super excited about it. You know that, Ethan. Don't give me that look. Um, I'm super excited. God is calling us to something beyond the Sunday morning. And he's preparing us for it. All right. Let's pray. God, lots of prayer today because we're here for you. Um, if you didn't show up, if you're not part of this, then I, I don't know what we're doing. So we, we intentionally reflect our voice in our conversation to pray to you. I pray that as I speak today, that people would hear your words. God, I pray that as people share on Slack today, that we would hear your word coming through Slack. God, as we engage together as a community, that your Holy Spirit would be knitting our thoughts together in unity. And Jesus, I pray that we would be transformed, as Pastor Devin spoke about at the beginning, that we would be transformed in our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember being a teenager in Bible study. I, I was one of those people, I grew up in church and I went to Bible study um, as a teenager and it was fun and engaging. I have, uh, I have uh, Crystal here in the room, she went to Bible study with me and she will totally attest to the validity of this story. The people I were with are good godly Christian peers and we were trying the best we could to understand God, to be good Christians, to, to, you know, just get it right. And sometimes we were super religious. 
We were pretty religious, especially Crystal. I'm kidding. <laughs> we were super religious. We would try to impress our friends with how righteous we were and how, how, how good we could pray. I remember those conversations. We would, we would try to pray good. And we would try to have the most insightful point coming from the text and be like, well, Paul said in Romans chapter 2, 2, you know, you'd be like, what are you doing? We were super religious. We would, we would also get contentious with people in our group when they didn't measure up. When they didn't try hard enough or do good enough, we would get contentious, confront them. We would be like, out of our zeal to be good enough, we would be contentious. And when other people in our circle didn't measure up, we would put lots of pressure on them. And we would go out of our way to show them that we really know how to do it right. It was, it was kind of a disaster. At points, we ended up hurting people. Uh, but we really wanted to be righteous. I think we would have done really well to heed Matthew 6.1 instead of somewhere in Romans. Matthew 6.1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Oh, I'm going to read that one more time. And the question I'm asking is, what does it mean to practice your righteousness in order to be seen? What does it mean, and I need you on Slack to engage with this, what does it mean to practice your righteousness in order to be seen? So here's the verse again. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Love to hear from you what that means. What is Jesus actually rebuking here? I think Jesus is giving us a big beware, and you guys are working on what it means, so I'm going to talk about beware for a minute. Beware is look out for this. Literally, be aware. Um, I think of when I was younger, and my job was to deliver, I had, I had multiple routes, and I had to deliver 400 newspapers three times a week to all the houses in my community. It was, it was huge, I'm just out delivering papers. And there were signs that were like, beware of the dog. And if anybody's watched Italian Job lately, aha, never mind. Um, I happen to have watched Italian Job lately, so beware of the dog. Um, so, so the mailman looks around timidly and doesn't see the dog. So instead of casting off restraint, the mailman actually goes on to the property, eyes wide open. The, the Navy would call this alert and oriented five, where you know everything that's happening. You know exactly every branch that's, that's creaking. You see your path. You see everything around you. You know that you are aware of this dog until you know exactly where the dog is. And then you're either able to freak right out because it's coming at you, or 
you know that you're safe. So beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. All right, so what, what does it mean to practice your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them? Someone wrote, uh, just copied the message translation on. It says, be especially careful, like that dog approach, be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. Well done, Eugene Peterson. Well done. Someone else wrote, uh, it, means, it means don't do good for the recognition, or practicing our own righteousness is a motivation of selfishness for our own edification to build up, to impress others, to appear to be holy. So in Jesus' time, there's a, there's a high push. There's a, high, a huge push toward making the world right. Now, I want to give us a little bit of context for this. Because we, we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and we love to like bash on the, on the, on the, uh, the Pharisees. But there's something going on here that we need to be aware of. There's a high push in Israelite culture toward making the world right. And what that means is that Israel is supposed to be established as a nation and that the whole world is supposed to look to Israel as the ideal of what the world is supposed to look like. And what it meant for the Jews was it was forcing people to act righteously. I mean, they're probably accurate. The view is grounded in Scripture. In, in 2 Chronicles 14, sorry, 2 Chronicles 7:14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, sin and heal their land. Which means God gives a formula here for how Israel is going to become recognized again, how everything is going to be made right again. And so they're doing it. See, the Messiah, the, 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 the child of David, is going to come when Israel gets their stuff together. Stop sinning, people. Get your stuff together. Sort it out. Turn to God. Be righteous. Oh, that's where it comes from. So the Pharisees are a whole sect of influencers in the in, in first century, and they're saying, hello, stop sinning, people. Are they wrong? Are they wrong? No, they're not wrong. So the religious people are urging people to turn from their wicked ways because God would come and rid the world of the dirty empire. Someone, someone said, um, someone said, as, as, I am as prone to act rightly to impress God, or am I as prone to act rightly, rightly to impress God as to impress people, i.e. to earn God's favor? Both may be wrong motivations. It's good. 
Someone else said that, that when we act for the uh, purpose of practicing your righteousness in order to be seen, it's pride draped in religious action, piety. It makes you think about who your rewarder is. When good deeds are done for others to view yourself as good, it makes you expect that the rewards will come from them. Very insightful. Very, very good. See, all these religious people are saying, act righteously because then God is going to come and rid the world of the dirty, the dirty Roman Empire. As it turned out, it worked. That's exactly what God did. In that context, where people are being righteous, God says, bam, here's the Messiah. You're expecting it, you see it, your heart is ready for it, bam, here is Jesus. Here is Jesus come to save. It's exactly what happened. See, people turning to God and doing righteousness is always a good thing. You're like, how did he get that from the text, Rob? People turning to God and acting righteous is always a good thing. They used visible practices of righteousness to just to judge and to stratify the quality of people, though. Uh-oh. They used visible acts of righteousness to judge and to justify or to stratify the quality of people. I was more righteous in my Bible study because I knew better cross-references in Scripture than the other person did. I'm better than them. You were a better person if you practiced more righteousness. Practicing righteousness is a symbol, or practicing righteousness as a symbol of superiority or as status is foolishness. And this is where it starts to slip in. Today we run into the same folly of the stratification of people. You're more holy or you're more righteous we prop people up as like the righteous people. And, and, and we say like, oh, yeah, you're, you're, like, you're like the leaders. I can't be like you. I'd love to be like you, but I can't be like you. I mean, it's attractive. It's attractive because in our culture, if you can set up a culture where righteousness earns status, people are going to be more motivated to be righteous. If, I mean, if, if buying an Audi earns me status, people are going to be more motivated to buy an Audi. It's true. If you don't drive an Audi, you know, you're not as good. Right? Anybody drive an Audi here? All right. Fair enough. So I happen to love the company. They're really cool. And they're joining Formula One. So that's fun. Um, so but it's a status thing. If we create a culture where righteous actions create status, it pollutes our motivation. Someone said it's all about motivation. Doing actions publicly to teach is valid, though. That's interesting. So, the kingdom of God requires humility. If you remember the Chronicles verse that I, 
that I brought up. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Oh, okay. There's a marker here. So the important question for you guys now is what is a sure marker of humility? What is a sure marker of humility? Answer me in Slack. I'd love to hear this. I, I, I want to hear what you guys say because this one's hard. Th this is not an easy question. Because one of the crazy things about humility is I'm more humble than the rest of you guys. Did you catch it? Right? What's the marker? What's the sure marker of humility? Jesus calls out the self-righteous attitudes that promote personal actions. That's what Jesus is calling out here. Beware of doing your right, of practicing your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. He's calling out self-righteous attitudes that promote personal actions. When, when I was young, I learned that bullies were bullies because they wanted to, to raise themselves up to feel better than themselves so they'd you know, insult other people and push other people down so that they could feel better about themselves. So that's what would happen. But I've had to catch myself in conversations that sound really innocent. They go something like this. I've worked really hard to get to where I am. I worked really hard to get to where I am. I've been so disciplined. I've done all these things so well. I feel sorry for the person that hasn't worked as hard as me. I think if they could just learn from my action, they could have as much success as I've had. Beware of this. Beware of it. There's an attitude where you can build up your own successes in your own eyes and you're leaning on the struggle of other people to prop your, yourself up. You're saying, oh, look, I'm so spiritual, I'm so good, I wish other people, I wish everybody would read the Bible as much as I do. Oh, just propping myself up on somebody else's struggle, making myself feel better. God's like, there's no reward for that. Your status is not what I'm going for. So someone, someone said that, uh, someone said the definition, the marker of humility is Frank Glover. There you go. <laughs> there's, some funny, there's some funny things about, uh, about our community here. Pastors warned me about having slack at the beginning of this church. They're like, maybe you don't want slack as a church. You're going to get some stuff. We get some stuff. Doing the right thing even when nobody is watching is a marker of humility. Doing something good that no one else will know about is a marker of humility. Hearing what others have been through and what they've done to cope brings humility. Some of the happiest people I know have had tough lives. Someone asked if sacrifice is a marker. How are happiness and humility related? Well, that's interesting. Good question. So what is Jesus not rebuking? Remember, let's, let's just touch back on our verse for a moment. 
Our verse is, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have, your, you will have no reward from your fathers in heaven. So what is Jesus not rebuking? Jesus not rebuking the practicing of righteousness. Jesus is rebuking the pride that comes with human metrics of successful righteousness. He is rebuking the pride that comes with the human metric of successful righteousness. Okay, but now we have a problem. Has trying to do good deeds in secret helped or hindered the church? Huh. Okay, opinion question. There's no Bible verse answer here. This is an opinion question. In your opinion, has trying to do good deeds in secret helped or hindered the church? Just loved it. And, and expand on it a little bit, you know? Like, I mean, if, you, if you're just like, it helped, great. Or it hindered, great. But why? Jesus is not rebuking something, doing something for someone that helps them. So there's a, there's a sociological study in constant debate called the bystander effect, which might play into this discussion. The study says people are more willing to help people who are in trouble when there are less people around. More willing to help when less people can see it. Less willing to help when there are more people around. That's what the bystander effect study, and it's been debated for 60 years. This is, this is the study that's been happening. So, but I think Christians struggle with this because we hear this verse, and many false interpretations of this verse might suggest that helping somebody while somebody can see you help them isn't what Jesus wants. So we go, oh, well, I don't want to practice my righteousness in front of anybody, and that person can see what I'm doing, so I can't do anything. What it's done is it's moved us to not do anything. Maybe. To be clear, the verse is not saying don't be seen by others when doing something righteous. If you see someone struggling, help them. Please, help them. If you see them in poverty, and you've got an extra 50 bucks in your pocket, help them. If you don't have an extra 50 bucks in your pocket, contact the church. The church that you give to probably has a little bit extra, and they can, and we can help them, right? So if you see somebody struggling, even if others see you do it, Jesus doesn't want your motivation to be status-seeking to get the attention because he said that that's all the reward you're going to receive. It's not going to increase your status here, but it will increase your status where it matters. So the, the two values at the core of righteousness in the Bible are love and humility. As Christians, we have to be careful that we guard the definition of love because our culture has got a hold of that four-letter word and is completely warping it. But the value of Christian Righteousness is in love and humility. So watch this. Love will seek the betterment of someone 
else. Okay, culture's good with that. Love seeks the betterment of someone else. At cost to yourself. That's where Christians push it just a little bit further. Love will seek the betterment of someone else at cost to yourself. Okay. Humility will not compare yourself to another person, but only to Jesus. Try that. Oh, I'm so good. I read my Bible. I got my cross-references right. I know my Bible so well. You know, humility will only compare yourself to the person of Jesus. Jesus, I know my Bible so well. And Jesus is like, I am the word. Right. I know my place. Oh, Jesus, I, I sacrificed so much to give to this person. Yeah, like, I, I just got it right. Jesus is like, I died. Yeah. Right, right, okay. Humility will not compare yourself to another person, only to Jesus. Try living like that. Try having any self-esteem afterwards. <laughs> okay, so has trying to do good deeds in secret helped or hindered the church? I really, really am interested in what happens here. Um... I think the temptation to be recognized as the one who's doing the good is such a deep motivator. Maybe humility looks like seeing others as yourself or seeing yourself as them, all of us in the same boat, in need of something greater than ourselves. It's good. You cannot encourage a culture of doing good if all the good is done in private. Perhaps we need some good ego work to balance our good works properly. How can we do stuff that's seen, let your good works shine before humanity, but doesn't puff up our chest? Compare yourself to Jesus. It could hinder. When the populace assumes credit should be given to someone other than Christ, i.e. humanism caused her to be nice. Or Allah will bless her good deeds. Human are basically moral. See, she's doing good, right? So there could be a, a hindrance. Sometimes non-Christians criticize the church when they share the good they have done, but there's value in understanding what good is being done in the name of Christ as it points people to Christ. Someone said, is self-esteem a bad thing? I don't, I don't think so. I, I think that we... That we um, find our self-esteem in the grace of Jesus. My tongue-in-cheek comment about self-esteem was, uh, was really about, like, I'm going to be constantly humbled, but then Jesus, by the work of his Holy Spirit, elevates me to say, I'm making you more, more like me. I'm making you more like me. That's the promise. So when I compare myself to Jesus and go, oh, I'm not there, then Jesus comes right along and says, yeah, but I'm working on you. And you keep that and it's not, I'm working on you better than I'm working on someone else. It's just, I'm working on you. All right, so here we go. My, my final comment is, is what, what's this whole reward about? We didn't even get to the reward yet. So you will not receive a reward in heaven. The status is about getting affirmation, right? 
Do your righteousness in front of people in order to be seen by them. Why? Because they affirm you. You did such a good job, people. Congratulations. Keep it going. We look for affirmation, and I believe that somebody earlier today said, said something that was really powerful, so I'm going to let them preach it. It makes you think about who your rewarder is when good deeds are done for others to view you as good. It makes you expect the rewards will come from them. You look for affirmation. You're just, I'm just looking for affirmation. But God promises a greater affirmation. Matthew 25, 20 to 21 says, he who received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, master, you delivered me five talents. Here, I've made another five talents. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. That was an important call. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We need affirmation but we look in the wrong places. We do good deeds or righteous actions in front of other people in order to be seen by them. Continually in our workplaces, we look to our bosses, we look to our peers, we look to our family members, we look to whoever to say, you're faithful, you're competent, you're good, good and faithful, but God says, the reward is when I say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. One of my old mentors said, if you rise on the praises of people, you will crash on their criticisms. Look for affirmation in the one who can truly affirm you. Don't practice your righteousness in front of other people in order to be seen by them, that they affirm you. but do it so that God will affirm you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Words of Job in Job 19, 25 to 26 says, I know my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Someone says, I think when we help others, even in, if it's in private, we help them in their need, and they share that with others. Didn't that happen to Jesus? Right? Someone actually put it really well. In some ways, we actually overthink this. There's just stuff that needs to be done. Someone has to do it. Let it be the body of Christ. Just do it. Just do it. And God will affirm you, even if nobody else notices. And if other people notice, yeah, great. They noticed it got done. Awesome. Your affirmation comes from God. God, I pray that we would be people of boldness that would do good works looking for your affirmation, looking for your, your spirit to be working in us. I pray that we will be a people of humility that would only compare ourselves to you and trust that you're bringing us into your image. And I pray that we would be people of love, that we would, be, that we would learn what it means to sacrifice for someone else's benefit. 
I pray that we would do these things. And as we do them going from this gathering place out into the world, as we, as we do promise grants, as we, do, as we participate in our communities of care and, and stay connected with each other and, in, and invite other people in, God, I pray that we would be a people who do more than just attend church on Sunday, but that we would be a people who do righteous acts for your glory and not for our own glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.